Hello, everybody. Welcome back to LettermanRow.com. I am Jeremy Birmingham. This is Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast brought to you by Buyers Automotive and LettermanRow.com. Today, I'll be joined by Zach Carpenter and Spencer Holbrook. We're going to break down some of Ohio State's top targets visiting uh, big schools this weekend. We'll talk a little bit about the impact that could happen uh, on the recruiting trail from USC firing Clay Helton and how that pertains to the Buckeyes and whoever knows what else we talk about. So let's get to the show. Okay, we're back. Welcome back, uh, everyone. I mean, that's not really that long of a wait for you guys to go away. So I guess I don't need to say talk welcome back since it's literally just like one second before we dive into the show. But Spencer's here. Zach is on the road. So he's joining us via avatar as opposed to via video. Um, guys, let's just talk. I mean, obviously, it's a big weekend for Ohio State, but it's not about who's at Ohio State. So we'll talk about some moving targets for this weekend, who's visiting where. But I think the most important thing that people have been talking about all week is the potential impact of the Clay, High, Clay Helton firing at USC and how that could impact Ohio State. The first question everyone has naturally is, what's up with Zion Branch? What's up with Zachariah Branch? And um, Zach, I mean, we talked about this, you and I, a little bit the other day off, off camera. And as long as Dante Williams is at USC, it probably doesn't matter too much to USC's chances, right? That's exactly what my first reaction when Clay Helton was was fired when the news broke. Um, and you see all these, well, what's going to happen to USC recruits? What's going to happen? And especially for guys like Zion Branch um, and uh, guys on the defense, as long as he's, as long as uh, Dante Williams is there, I think they're going to be completely fine, even if he doesn't wind up being. Um, becoming the head coach after being the interim head coach uh, this season. And as long as the new head coach isn't an absolute fool, he will do whatever it takes to keep Dante Williams on the staff. Um, when I talk to guys, when I talk to guys who are being recruited by USC, like I remember talking to uh, Damani Jackson's dad back last fall and um, the, the praise for Dante Williams was just through the roof. I mean, it was they didn't even talk. A lot of the guys that I talked to didn't even talk about Clay Helton that much. They talked about Dante Williams. He's one of the I think he's ranked as the number one recruiter in the country right now. Um, and if he's not ranked number one, he's one of the best. Uh, and I know he uh, he's already been working the phones, working the Zooms and FaceTimes with uh, with guys. That was like the first one of the first things he did was get on the get on FaceTime with guys like Zion and Zachariah Branch to. Um, just talk to him real quick. And a lot of it, I know, wasn't even like a recruiting pitch or anything. It was just checking in, yeah, uh, making sure that they knew that uh, how important they were to the program. So, well, yeah. And you have to look at this from a, a strategic perspective for USC Spencer, right? I mean, clearly this is a guy they moved into the interim head coaching role. Who's never been a head coach. I think he's like 29 years old. He's extremely young. They did this so that the recruits will believe that he is going to be there no matter who the next head coach is. Don't you think like that's, that has to be a part of this. Like if James Franklin's the next head coach at USC, uh, is there any chance James Franklin makes the same mistake he made with Larry Johnson in 2014 and lets him go? I mean, I, I can't see that happening, right? No. And I think that's why you see USC make the move to make the, a recruiter as the, the interim head coach and not a position coach, because if it was a position coach, it would be almost an audition for the head coaching job. Like what happened with, with USC, with Ed Ogeron, like what happened to USC with uh, Clay Helton. So I, I think this is a strategic move by USC and it's a really smart one uh, actually too. And I think you might see this a lot more 
moving forward with with programs, knowing how important recruiting is and the early signing period when they fire coaches midseason, instead of making a position coach the interim and basically making him a lame duck because you're going to go out and hire somebody, you make the recruiting coordinator or a, a dogged recruiter the interim head coach, then you can make sure that that the next head coach knows how important he is and you can you can really start to make inroads in recruiting that way. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, you you look at this in the early signing period, we've talked about it a little bit in the last couple of years as, as that becomes now the primary signing period. It's such a big deal for these schools to get a head start on the coaching carousel almost that like you can't wait until November or December because if you wait until November or December to fire a head coach, you're putting that entire recruiting class in jeopardy. Firing Clay Helton now, even though a lot of people would probably look at it and say, hey, this is way too early. Like that's the only chance you have to salvage the recruiting class. Am I wrong or am I am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. Yes. Awesome. I love not being crazy. Um, I Zach was going to answer there. I'm sorry. Well, sorry. no, I just see it, it's such an interesting wrinkle that they're firing him this this early and like you never see that happen. They usually kind of just let him go lamed up throughout the whole season. Um, and I guess I had never really thought of it like that through that lens before, but, uh, I, I guess you're right. Like there are, there's some stability that can be created, uh, in a weird way, uh, in a roundabout way. There's with, uh, if you have a guy like Dante Williams in charge, um, over the next few months to kind of just settle things down and, um, kind of get him to regroup and recalibrate. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. Uh, and for those watching, if Penn State fans are like, I'm not saying James Franklin's going to be the head coach at USC. I'm saying that I think he's a very real possibility to be the head coach at USC, but that's neither here nor there. But the point is, with a guy like Dante Williams, who's a young guy, uh, a, a new-ish position coach, you know, coaching the corners that he does there at USC, like his job right now is not to try to be the head coach at USC. His job is to try to make sure that coaches who end up coming to USC know that A, he's not going anywhere, and B, that his role is going to be very important in keeping this uh, USC class together. And and not just the class, but also the guys that are currently on the roster, the Corey Foremans, the players like that. Damani Jackson's already come right out and said he's not, you know, he's still locked in with USC, but he did make his official visit to Michigan. He's got an official visit to Alabama scheduled. There's all these moving parts. And I think the reason you do this now if you're USC is because Again, if you wait until the end of November when the season's over, you put yourself in an extremely precarious position. Um, this allows you to, to find that stability in the chaos and, and tell a kid like Zion Branch and Zachariah Branch, hey, this guy's not going anywhere. The new head coach is, is going to keep him around. And I think that this is USC's way of making sure that um, Dante Williams' uh, impact doesn't get uh, washed away. So I, I think there is um, – residually some potential for Ohio state to make some noise here. But of course the Buckeyes have their own coaching issues right now, as far as who's recruiting Zion branch and the, the secondary and what happens there with Ohio state. So I don't know that it really helps the Buckeyes. I think things are kind of a wash, but I do think it's interesting uh, with Devin Brown, the quarterback commit for USC, Ohio state obviously needs a quarterback in the class of 2022. Um, you saw on Wednesday, both Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss offered uh, Devin Brown, who plays at Corner Canyon in Utah, and then UCLA did as well. Uh, I know for a fact that Ohio State has uh, been watching his film early part of this week and trying to take a look at him. I'm not sure if they're going to reach out, um, but I, I, I've heard they were impressed by what they saw. 
And so now you start to wonder, you know, as all these coaching dominoes happen and all these things change, this is why Ohio State doesn't need to panic about Drew Aller's decision or if he sticks with Penn State or what happens if James Franklin does take the Penn State job. Does Drew Aller become available in November or whatever? Um, because there are going to be things that happen like this. And now all of a sudden, Devin Brown, who Zach, and we were both out there at the Elite 11 in, in June and July. I thought he was probably one of the top three or four quarterbacks out there at that event. Uh, and now he's potentially a kid you can can get a, a conversation going with. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and BS anyone. I wasn't paying that much attention to him. I yeah. was watching Quentin Ewers, and I was watching Drew Aller, and I was watching some of the other guys, but I wasn't paying that close attention to Devin Brown. But um, the consensus was that I, th I think he was listed as uh, one of the – I know they don't rank him um, 1 through 11 uh, except for the, the MVP – but I know he was consensusly rated uh, as one of the top like five or six guys out there. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Burn, from your vantage point, I mean, what did, did he look like an Ohio State caliber quarterback? I mean, what, what sort of things did he bring to the table? Is he, is he one of those guys that, I mean, in a setting like that, it's hard to, I guess it's hard to kind of gauge whether or not he would be able to come in and run an offense uh, like Ryan Days or something like that. But what, what did you see from him? Yeah, I mean, the kid's got a big arm. I know that. I, I was impressed with his arm strength. I thought but between him and Aller, uh, th those two may have had the strongest arm out there in California at the Elite 11. I thought he was consistent and accurate downfield. And when you're talking about Ohio State's offense, that's kind of what you're looking for right now is a guy that can get vertical and push those receivers down the field. Um, but, you know, you're talking about a kid that's a West Coast kid, so you never know how that plays out. I, I can say – pretty plainly, Spencer, that Ohio State would prefer to take an Ohio quarterback. If all things being equal, if you have a po possibility of Aller, a possibility of Devin Brown, then you'd probably take Aller because he's at home. But um, I guess my point is, Spencer, like the dominoes are falling and, and quarterbacks are going to become available. But who isn't available for Ohio State, really? Yeah, exactly. And Zach, I can say that I wasn't at the Elite 11, but I can confidently say that Devin Brown was probably one of the 11 best quarterbacks there, which is a high accomplishment because if you get invited there, you're, you're pretty good at quarterback. So uh, there's, that's one thing that I'll add. But uh, in, anyway, sorry, that was dumb. Uh, Drew Aller and Devin Brown, both really talented guys, really strong arms. And both of them might be going through coaching changes before they even get there because I mean, we'll just put it plainly, there is interest there with James Franklin and, and USC. It's not a secret by, for anyone who uh, covers the sport with any uh, functioning brain, I guess, that, that James Franklin has, has interest in USC. And uh, so as Devin Brown goes through a coaching change, uh, Drew Aller might have to reconsider what he's doing as well because he might go through a coaching change at Penn State. And so when you look at this, both of those things considered, I think Ohio State is better off to put those chips in the Drew Aller basket because yes, Devin Brown is also a good player and, and a good option, but at the same time, this is an Ohio kid. And if you miss on him, then you miss on him, but you, you really need to make that push. And I think it'd be wise to make sure that he knows he's a priority rather than having two guys, then that you're trying to recruit for one position, especially a quarterback. And yeah, it, I just, it's funny that this kind of, this kind of fell into Ohio state's lap, I guess, with the USC firing and then the, the potential for James Franklin to go to take that job down the road. Um, Drew, I think Drew Aller, like two days before the Clay Helton firing came out and said, no, I'm hundred percent locked in. Like there's uh, the report of Ohio state offering him scholarship. And he said, him and his dad are saying that, um, that they're locked in. And then this happens. And now that throws some instability into the wrench that I think, 
if Ohio State wants to, they can use that to their advantage going forward. With, uh, yeah. with I said a few weeks ago on this show and others that I thought that the best opportunity for Ohio State with Drew Aller was to, to just be patient and wait and see what happens. Because, again, Mike Yurisich has been at three schools in the last three years. There's been rumors about James Franklin and USC for quite some time. It was pretty obvious to anybody uh, looking at college football that Clay Helton had a very small window uh, for this season to be successful and to stay at say the head coaching job at UC USC. I don't think anything is imminent. It's not like James Franklin's going to be coaching at USC next week. So there's a lot of machinations that are going to happen here over the next two and a half months. But um, it it does open at least a door for Ohio State to have those conversations about that instability because I know. One thing every quarterback in America is looking for on the recruiting trail is consistency and stability in their coaches, because there's nothing that derails a college career faster than multiple coaches, not just not just multiple head coaches, but multiple position coaches. And I think that um, if things work out with James Franklin and USC, you're going to see a lot of things get flipped on its head. So uh, we can talk more about USC over the next few months because it's going to happen a lot, but uh, you know, as we head into this weekend at Ohio State, it's not going to be obviously a huge recruiting weekend for the Buckeyes uh, on campus. They're not going to have a, a host of big name players. Uh, I'm expecting a, a couple of commitments to make their way. Kai Stokes, uh, Caleb Burton, CJ Hicks, of course, will be there. Um, you know, local guys, I expect that we may see Gabe Powers there this week since we didn't see him last weekend. Um, really, this weekend for Ohio State is about key players visiting elsewhere. So, um, you know, the moving target section of this episode of Talking Stuff brought to you by Buyers Auto is going to be sort of the, the meat and potatoes of the episode because that's where things are really happening, especially in the SEC. There are two, you know, I don't want to say marquee matchups. Uh, I, I don't consider the Georgia-South Carolina matchup a marquee game necessarily, but when it comes to recruiting, there's few states that Ohio State cares about more than Georgia. And if you look at that developing uh, game day visitors list at Georgia, we're going to see a handful of Buckeyes targets, Eni White, Christian Miller, Ernest Green, Justice Haynes, Kyan Lee, uh, among others. So that place, I mean, it, Georgia is sort of the epicenter of Ohio State recruiting right now, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I mean, there, there's pretty much, I mean, there's five guys right off the bat there that are at least three of them that are priority targets for Ohio State That's that are going down there. Um, and even if even if it's maybe not a marquee game like Ohio State Oregon was last week or Alabama Florida is this weekend, Georgia South Carolina is still considered uh, considered uh, a rivalry as a southern rivalry. It's still going to serve up a raucous environment. Um, so I was going to ask you guys, as far as uh, I don't know if we want to hit on both games uh, combined here, if we want to just focus on Georgia South Carolina, who do you guys think? Who do you guys think are like the, the maybe the top three most important um, most important visitors uh, most three most important Ohio State targets visiting elsewhere this weekend? I mean, what what would you what in your opinion is like the most impactful? Um, Spencer, go ahead. I'll let you dive into that first if you want. Well, first, I want to say that that I take more uh, stock in the guys going to Georgia, South Carolina than I do going to Alabama, Florida. Um, I think there's a trend in college football where guys know exactly the two or three schools that they want, but also they're going to make five official visits and they're going to make sure that they are at some of the best games in the country. I mean, that's 
That's what I would do. I would go to five different incredible environments and great college football games. If I was a recruit and you always ask me, Berm, if you were a recruit, what would you do? I'd yeah. make sure that I, I'd make sure I had five great games on the schedule. So Alabama, Florida is the game of the week. Of course, there's going to be guys that want to go to that game, whether they're interested in Alabama and Florida or not. Meanwhile, Georgia, South Carolina should be an absolute butt kicking. And uh, there are a number of prospects going to Georgia. So I think anybody at the Georgia, South Carolina game is more of a pressing issue for Ohio State, just given the fact that they're willing to go to a Georgia, South Carolina game and, and watch that uh, on their visit. And, you know, so I, I would say that the three most important are probably uh, Ernest Green, Christian Miller, and then I'm going to throw a curveball in there. I think it's Kyan Lee. Uh, you, you look at this Ohio State secondary and uh, it's, it's got a lot of bodies, but but you've seen some issues in the last couple of years. They need top end talent. And while Eni White is a, is a huge fish out there, there's, there's plenty of other defensive ends that Ohio State's recruiting right now in that 2022 class. And I think getting off on the right foot with that 23 class, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is more imperative than landing Eni White when you have other guys on the defensive line you can get in that 22 class. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with, in the big picture, the three most important prospects visiting elsewhere. I'm going to go with Ernest Green visiting Georgia. This is his official visit with the Bulldogs. He went to um, Charlotte two weeks ago and saw Georgia play Clemson. So his last two trips now after canceling the Ohio State visit because of scheduling difficulties, uh, and he'll reschedule that, I, I assume, probably for the Penn State game end of October. But the the real challenge here for Ohio State is if, if Ernest Green is starting to trend towards Georgia, now he's going to be there two weeks, seeing the Bulldogs two weeks in a row after already seeing them at the end of June. Like This is a, a concern. Uh, for sure. Uh, I'm going to go with Chris McClellan visiting Florida for the Florida and Alabama game. If Florida can find a way to win that game um, in that environment, I think that Chris McClellan, who's obviously been leaning towards Ohio State for a few months, but I, he's clearly torn. Otherwise, he would have made a decision publicly by now. Um, I, I think he's very, very interested in Florida, Oklahoma and Ohio State. Florida's atmosphere and if they can go out there and really put up a, a really aggressive defense that I think that's something that could catch his attention. And then uh, I, I have to go with Caden Curry uh, visiting Indiana. They're playing Cincinnati at home. It's going to be a huge game, a top 10 opponent. Um, the, the Bearcats come in there as the favorite. And this is sort of Tom Allen's uh, Waterloo. You know what I mean? Like this is that sort of moment where if you're Indiana after the, the loss to start the season, you come out and you have to show that your program is actually what people were saying it was going to be all off season. Um, and Desan McCullough will be there trying to sell the future of the Hoosiers, keeping the kids at home. Uh, so I'm going to go with Caden Curry. I, that, that's not like necessarily in order of importance. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I mean, Caden Curry to me of that group is the most important uh, total. So those are the three like specific visits that I'm drilling down on and saying, okay, I want to, I want to know what's happening here. Yeah. And the three most, uh, three most important for me. I mean, I think I, I agree with you, Ernest Green, number one at Georgia. Um, I, it's a shame that he wasn't able to get to the Ohio state Oregon game. Um, a lot of, I know there's a lot of people saying, well, maybe it's a good thing he didn't go to the Ohio state Oregon game, but like Berm wrote uh, for the recruiting question of the day today, um, the team that's that the prospect is visiting if they lose it's not it's not as big of a deal as many would think and i, I know a lot of people like uh like when Caden curry and sunny styles for instance saw the defense up close i mean them losing that game the defense looking looking as bad as it did can actually in a weird way really weird way help ohio state because it they see that um 
that they see that uh, how much that that they, they can help and have an opportunity for early playing time. But that's beside the point. Um, Ernest Green, I would say, yeah, him going to Georgia. Uh, I, I put Eni White up there uh, just because, I mean, we just did the list the other day, uh, me, Berman, and Andrew, and we had Eni White as our number three overall prospect. And if if a team like Georgia or the SEC powers that be that are recruiting him can continue to, to um, drill home that he is – an outside linebacker in a three, four scheme. And he's not a hand in the dirt four three defensive end, like Ohio state and Larry Johnson want. If, I mean, that the more that they can drill that into him, the, I think the further separation um, that, that they'll be able to make between um, the sec schools and, and Ohio state. Uh, another one, I, I think Caden Curry would be up there for me, but since, uh, since Burham hit on that, I think Derek LeBlanc could be uh, going to Florida. Alabama could be pretty important. I mean, he's been up to Ohio State now three times, I believe. Yeah, um, three times. And we talked so much about he he has superstar potential in college. He's like a top fifty overall overall player, defensive end, uh, potential to kick inside as pass rushing three tech. And more important than that, or just as important as that, is he has the type of uh, personality and cachet to be a leader in the Ohio state class down in Florida in the South. So um, it, like you said, with Chris McClellan, it's the same deal where if Florida is able to pull out that win and really look, look special and look dynamic on defense that that could make a, that could make a major impact for him uh, going forward. And lastly, it, first of all, I have to get this right. It's K and Lee. It's mm-hmm. K and Lee. Cause I've, I've asked him to pronounce it like three different times. Cause I keep getting it. Uh, mixed up between the cayenne pepper and cayenne so it's but but me and me and spencer have like a full-blown love for k and lee like we we've talked uh have a lot of conversations about how how awesome he looked at the ohio state camp um when he when he camped in june and um got an offer and he was being coached up personally by by carrie combs and ryan day was like basically like 30 feet away from him at all times but um I think yeah, I would I would put him up as one of the one of the top visitors too. I think uh, it, Ohio State's targeting him and AJ Harris as their top two targets in that 2023 class. So uh, the the more that he doesn't, the the longer of another visit to Ohio State doesn't happen. And as of right now, I talked to him. He doesn't have a have an Ohio State visit planned yet this fall. Um, I know we have a long ways to go in that in that in that recruitment, but. The longer he doesn't visit Ohio State, I think it could uh, has some negative effects. So, uh, I agree. I mean, I think that it's one of those situations where, especially because he's going to be there again with Christian Miller, a teammate for him down at Cedar Grove uh, in Illinois, Georgia. This is there's always sort of this idea that those kids go to the same school together, um, and Ohio State's been at the top of the list for both him and Christian Miller. Christian told me last week after his official visit that Ohio State and Georgia were his top two, and it's it's likely going to come down to that pairing for him whenever he makes a decision. So I think that there is some some impact there uh, with Kay and Lee and, and Georgia, and you just hope that for Ohio State's sake that they're able to get a lot of these kids back on campus um, for that Penn State game at the end of October. Jaden Osbury down will be visiting Florida, a 2023 five-star um, linebacker type. He's going to visit Ohio State for the Penn State game. But this weekend, Ohio State will have Troy Bowles visiting, who is another similar type player. So I think you have like this idea of it could be one or the other for the Buckeyes at that position in, in the class of 2023, that six foot one, six foot two, 210 pound linebacker slash bullet type. Um, so it's interesting to see if, if those 
dominoes get moved around. I've said dominoes a lot today and I, I'm not thinking about pizza because Domino's pizza is the worst pizza ever. But um, I think that it's just important that at Ohio state look at this like a pizza, right? Like you just got to get a piece this weekend. You got to get one piece of that pizza, understanding that the majority of the people eating it are going to be in Georgia or Florida. You just got to get one piece this weekend. So um, whether that's Troy Bowles and you make the real impact there and put that out of reach, um, I, I don't know, but you know, we'll see a lot more players at Ohio State on Saturday when we're in the stadium and see who actually shows up. But it's not a game where, again, you, you don't see like the big social media push for kids. I'm going to Ohio State this weekend to watch them play the Golden Hurricanes. Like there's huge games uh, in the SEC. And right now that's who Ohio State recruits against. Right. So, I mean, that's where the majority of the action is going to be. Um, you know, as we head into this weekend, uh, you know, I, I think that it's important that Ohio State understands that they have to put together a product on the field that's going to excite people about what they're doing defensively because, guys, I mean, that that is the question, right? Like, what are the Buckeyes doing on defense? And until they can show that, I think a lot of these big-time defensive players we've talked about are, are sort of from Missouri. They're like, okay, oh, show me what's actually changing um, and, and hope from Ohio State's perspective that it can happen without – needing wholesale changes of the staff because they like the staff as recruiters. But right now you got to put the, they got to put the product on the field. I agree. I completely agree. And and there's not much else to add to that. I mean, Ohio State has to be better defensively for a variety of reasons. A, if it wants to win a national championship, it has to get better. B, if it wants to continue to impress recruits, it has to get better. And C, if it wants to keep the staff intact too, continue to recruit these guys at a high level. It's got to, it's got to get better. And so every layer of that defense needs to be better. Every uh, angle that you can take from it has to, has to get looking better. And uh, there's no other way to really say it. Like you said, uh, they're in a show me mode and, uh, and they need to start putting results on the field or else it's going to impact uh you know, one game is not going to impact recruiting. Like you said, you look bad in the defense. Okay. The offense got you that day. But if there's a trend there that starts to show up this year and it shows a bad Ohio State defense, um, you're going to have issues in every aspect uh, when it comes to polls, when it comes to uh, national championship aspirations, and especially when it comes to recruiting for the future. Yep, yeah, I agree. The, the, they're in like Ohio State's in a little mini purgatory here going throughout the rest of the season because like Berm said on the, uh, the practice report last night, I mean, we're not going to know whether or not this Ohio State defense has actually improved until – the probably the Penn State game. I mean, because they don't play, they don't play really a talent equated opponent until then. So I know that I know that the instability that of uh, of what's going on um, structurally and with the staff, it's making an impact on it's making an impact on some priority guys that uh, I've talked to either them or their their families. Where it's like, all right, we yeah, we we want to see how things shake out, how the defense looks, what the staff looks like over the next few months so I mean over the next several weeks defensively it's going to be interesting to see what sort of changes and improvements are made and um, how that Penn State game shakes out and that's that's the next huge recruiting weekend too that's I mean that's not that's when we're going to see a ton more priority top level guys uh, show up for visits and that's going to be the first game where we really see um, what what if there are changes or improvements or uh, whatnot where we really see it kind of shake out. Yep. Uh, Ohio State has identified a number of top targets on defense in the class of 2022-2023, but what they have not identified is their own identity on defense, and they're going to need to do that in the next couple of weeks before these kids that they've been recruiting for a long time, the Xavier Wampas of the world, 
uh, the Caden Currys of the world feel comfortable saying, hey, this is exactly where things are going at Ohio State defensively. And it's weird to be in that position, but you know, Ohio State's going to have to step up and, and make that happen. So, um, Zach, you're going to be seeing Keontae Goodwin on Friday night. Uh, a lot of people are going to ask about him ahead of time. Uh, it, it, the, the real goal here um, is to just get an idea of what type of relationship still exists between him and Ohio State. So, folks, if you're out uh, on, on LettermanRow.com, look forward to that uh, in the next couple of days. And uh, I'm going to be seeing Luke Montgomery uh, and Ryan Montgomery. Didn't get a chance to last week. We'll see them on Friday night. So figure out from Luke exactly if, if he's spooked at all by what he saw at Ohio State last week. And uh, we'll go from there. So I got nothing else on this episode of Talking Stuff brought to you by Byers Automotive. Spencer, anything? Uh, no, no. We're, Zachary? We're free to go. I got nothing. Just all right, man. Weekend. Enjoy the enjoy the road. Uh, thanks, folks, for watching. Please rate, review, subscribe. And, you know, if you're feeling, you know, generous, hit us up at the On3 subscription and, and, and help support Letterman Row for all we do. Uh, we appreciate every opportunity to talk stuff with you. So uh, I'm Jeremy Birmingham. Thanks for watching. See you.